we have been looking at REACH 23. And just as a recap, last year, I launched REACH 20, REACH, which is a 10-year vision, a 10-year plan of how we're going to extend our REACH to REACH the lost. And we talked about how this is in response to the awareness that the church is called not to set up camp, not to be comfortable, but to make disciples, to, to spread the good news of Jesus. And we're on a mission. That is our mission. And so extending our reach to reach the lost, it's some new wording, but essentially that's been our mission since the founding of this church. And that is indeed what should be the church global's mission to make Christ known. And the way we look to doing that is creating spaces and places for people to bring out to Jesus. And I recapped what we did last year. Uh, we created some wonderful spaces, Youth Auditorium, Ventureland, our Treasure Chest Ministry, then our online spaces. I looked at some of the stats of growth there as well. Uh, and places, uh, including our Hatfield site. And then we looked at the new spaces for this year, our Connect Lounge that we're going to launch. In fact, we got a photo of our Connect Lounge. If you haven't seen the sketch here, that's what that's going to look like at the atrium where we knock through all those doors and have an amazing place where we can ensure people can connect into the life of church and have a host team there, help people get connected to connect groups or pastoral support they may need. There'll be a bookshop, etc. We also looked at the new spaces we're going to be launching this year as it relates to our young adults, 18 to 25s, uh, and Edward unpacked that for us and uh, really excited about all the initiatives there and creating the new uh, Sunday evening service, which will be for young adults as well. And then last week, we looked at new places for this year. In addition to uh, our Hatfield site, we are launching a new site this year in a prison in the Mount. In fact, we got a picture of the Mount prison here as well. This is in Bovingdon. Um, as you heard last week, we've already had a ministry within in this prison, but the favor of God is upon us and the call of God is upon us to extend our reach in that place. And so we're going to be setting up a site directly in a prison, which is really exciting. And so where we are at now, this week and next week, I want to shift gears a little bit and answer the question, how do you get to play? How do you get to be part of this? Because as I hope you know by now, one of our key values here is everyone gets to play. This is, a not, this is not something you just sit back and watch the people on the stage do. This is not a spectator sport. Everyone is a minister of the grace of God. Everyone is a minister. Everyone here is called to use the gifts of the Spirit and extend God's kingdom, right? You realize that? Yeah? Nod your head if you agree. Good. And so we have a part to play in making reach happen. And here is the reach brochure, which you all had. The reach brochure kind of looks at all of those things we've looked at over the past uh, few weeks. And there is a bit on how everyone gets to play at the end, and it looks about how we can participate. And there's really two components to how we can participate. One is um, bringing our talents, our giftings, those gifts of grace that God's given us. And I've already had so many conversations, as has the team, of people saying, I want to get involved with that. I want to get involved with this. And we're going to look at that next week as we end the series. But this week, we're going to look at a subject which uh, you're told never to talk about, money. And if you're new, welcome. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh, the subject of money, um, and uh, I, the Lord reminded me of Centre Parks. Well, who's anyone been Centre Parks? Yeah, it's a great play. Oh, many of you. 
Um, you know when you go outside to the rapids and it's all warm, the warm water's all warm, and then right outside there's a cold water plunge pool. You know the one I mean? And you know who's been in that plunge pool? It is it, John's like that. It is cold, and you get out and it's cold anyway because you kind of. And then you look at this plunge pool, you're like, I really don't want to dive, jump into that, but everyone's telling me I should. And so <laughs> that's just me. I'm peer pressure all over now. So you dive into, you jump into it, and it's like, oh my word, it's freezing. And then you, people want to say, let's see how you can, you can stay in there. And eventually you acclimatize to it. I love having these games. I mean, this is not when I was a kid. I love doing it now. Um, come on, more than 15, 20 seconds. Anyway, you acclimatize to it. And the truth is, actually, those cold water plunge pools are very good for you. They're very good for you in many, benefit, in many ways. You see where I'm going with this? When you talk about money, it's a bit like looking at the cold plunge pool. I really don't want to have to jump into that. It's going to be a shock to the system. Yes, I appreciate it. It is a bit of a shock to the system, but it's good for you. Okay? It might, when I talk about money this morning, it might make you go, whoa. But as I speak, the Holy Spirit will warm it to your heart. And it's going to be good for your life. Why? Because the truth is money the heart of money, when we talk about money, is about our hearts. It's a discipleship issue. Let's look at money. Uh, Jesus, here's some interesting stats. Out of the 38 parables, how many do you think dealt with money? 16. Really? That's a lot. It is a lot, isn't it? Out of 10 verses in the New Testament, one out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with money. So every... Out of all the verses in the New Testament, 10% deal with money. That's a high percentage. Five, there's 500 verses on prayer in the scriptures, fewer than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 on money. 15% of all that Jesus talked about was about money, more than heaven and hell combined. Can you believe it? So I rather think that it is my duty as your pastor to talk about money. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. It's about discipleship. And I want to let you onto a little secret. The reach vision has a dual purpose. The reach vision has a dual purpose. It's extending our reach to reach the lost and extending ourselves to grow in Christ. You see, reach is about extending our reach to reach the lost, but it's also about extending ourselves to grow in Christ. You see, by God's grace, he puts in front of us opportunities and escapades where we extend his kingdom, but where in the, in the process, God grows us to be more like him. And you see, reach is as much about a discipleship program as it is about saving souls. Do you know that? This church, we are called not to be a Christian convert factory. We're called to be a disciple-making body of Christ. And so when you say yes to being part of this church, you sign up to becoming a disciple. And so the exciting thing is that REACH presents us with an opportunity, a program to be discipled and to grow more like Christ. And part of that has to be therefore, has to be therefore in how we use our money and steward our money in the context of that discipleship program. Are you with me? 
I want to, want to start talking about money. I mean, this talk is going to have a lot of content, but I'm not going to go too deep, but go quite wide. It's more of a teach than a preach. There's a lot of things I want to talk, teach on, and you might want to take notes. You might want to rewatch it, but I want this to be almost like a definitive guide to money. And we're going to look at things like the lie of money, the truth of giving, how we can give, and the different types of giving, okay? I want to look at the lie of money, the truth of giving, the different types of how we can give and how we okay? So let's start by looking at Matthew 6, 19, 21, because I think we have to set the scene correctly uh, when we talk about money. It's going to be on the screen uh, as well, and if you're at home, it's going to be on your device. And this is Jesus talking. He's saying this, Do not lay out for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, and what treasure is Jesus talking about when he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth? Well, we can skip to verse 24 that gives us the answer. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then he says this, you cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is addressing a heart issue here. He's saying, listen, your heart should not be divided between God and money because where your treasure is, if your treasure is the money that you store up for yourselves here on earth, that is where your heart's going to be. I always used to read that thinking, well, shouldn't it be the other way around? Where your heart is, you're going to put your treasure. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. You see, where you invest and where you put your treasure, where your money is, that is where your heart inclines towards. Because you see, we have to recognize the importance of our hearts. Throughout scripture, the heart is the center of our being. It is our emotions. It is our reason. It is our will. It's like the rudder of our life. It's the due north, if you like, of our life. Our hearts, inclinations, direct our thought processes and our resulting decisions. That is the importance of our heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. You see in this, everything you do flows from your heart. And where your treasure is, you see, there your heart is also. And that's why money is such a powerful subject. That's why money is so dangerous. Not money in itself. Money is a tool, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Because you see, the love of money will dictate where our heart is, and where our heart is will dictate where we go. It says in Hosea 10.2 that their heart is divided, now they shall be found 40. What does that mean? It means that we should not be living with a divided heart. We have not been created to have a divided heart. We've been created to have an undivided heart towards God. And when sin came in, it brought division. You know, we looked at holiness uh, in the Pursuit series. And I said that holiness is a totally 
undivided, devoted heart towards God. That's what holiness is. It's been set apart for him without an undivided heart. You following me? And so given that, if you are saying, yes, I want Jesus at the center, and we sang, it, we, we, we sang about Jesus earlier, then you have to, you have to address the issue of money in our lives in order to ensure that our heart is not divided. And the problem we have with money, and I include myself in this, is that it, the lies of money are so subtle. And especially for us in this Western materialistic worldview that we live in. You know, it is so subtle that we oftentimes completely miss it. So I want to start by giving you the telltale signs of the love of money. Uh, and this is the bit where we start plunging into the cold pool. Because some of these might touch you a little bit. But this is not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. It's about conviction which leads to freedom. The condemnation of the enemy will lead you into bondage. Conviction of the Holy Spirit will lead you into freedom. You see the difference? And I've had to, pro I continually have to process these four things in my life because I recognize um, the, the trap and the danger. So with, with that being said, let's look at these four things. Number one, the lie of money. Money will bring you happiness and fulfill you. Now, this is very subtle because if I said, Will money bring you happiness? You'll probably say to me, no, of course it won't. But the way we live our life wouldn't always suggest that. Now, of course, I'm not going to stand here and say that money doesn't take stresses away. It does, doesn't it? You know, the absence of money brings us stress when we think about how on earth we're going to pay those bills. How am I going to buy that thing for my child who really needs it? Like, money takes away those stresses. But money doesn't give you happiness. It is a difference. I mean, it only happened to me yesterday. I'm so susceptible to this. I was in the petrol forecourt. And I hear this, this rumble of a V12 engine. I could tell the difference between a V8 and a V12. Who can? I don't know if that's something I should admit. I don't know. But I look around and there is a yellow SUV Lamborghini, the new uh, Lamborghini SUV, with a private play on it. And a guy that looked really happy in the car. Once again, I had Daniel by my side in the car. And if you're wondering what this story goes, you have to look at the uh, talks from a few weeks ago. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a moment I said, man, I wish I had a yellow Lamborghini. Because I'd feel so good. It's not subtle. This is your senior pastor speaking. So I'm, the, I'm not devoid of any of these uh, things. I remember, you know, I... Um, I, I had, I mean, some of you know our story. I was in business for a long time. You know, we've had nothing, we've had lots, we've had everything in between. And I remember when I was about to sell my last cup, my company, and I thought I'm going to buy an Aston Martin. I was blessed that I had the resources to be able to do that. So I went to the Aston Martin showroom in, uh, where is I think it's not there. And I, I said I would like to test drive the uh, Aston Martin Vanquish. £250,000. So why not? Um, I know it's shocking, isn't it? But I thought, well, I, sh I deserve it. I worked hard, you know, why not? So I get in the car and uh, I'm driving this Aston Martin and it, I, I won't lie to you, it's a beautiful machine. Bearing. Good engine, well, naturally aspirated, which is nice. All you petrol heads, I know you're appreciating this. For all those that are not, speak to me afterwards, I'll explain. And I remember 
going, you know, we have filled the galleries and you've got the, um, you've got the, uh, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. And the guy's like, just drop the windows. Drop the windows. Lower it. Ah! Oh, I was loving it. Like, this is making me really happy. And then I had to pull into Welling Garden City and, and I, I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I just, uh, we, we, the route we took, we had to drive around near John Lewis and this and the other end. And I certainly had the looks. Not for me, of course, the car, I had to tell myself. This is not in my notes. It's shocking. This is the danger when you go off your notes. But the point I'm trying to make here is I, offer, I, I decided not to go to the Aston. It was, and listen, I just want to say, if you're watching or you own an Aston Martin, I'd enjoy it, you know. I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing to buy one. If God says it's okay, then you give the green light, then enjoy it. No, genuinely, I'm not, I'm not being flippant, you know. I'm not being flippant about this. But equally, God did not give me the green light. It wasn't going to be right for me. There are times when I look at Aston Martin that goes by and I think I should have bought that Aston Martin when I had the chance. Because that chance is gone. The point I'm trying to make is it affects us. We look at our neighbor. We look at the people out there. We, we look at the things and we think, if only I could have that, I'll be. If only I had that, uh, my life will be fulfilled. But it's the lie of money. Holy Spirit, would you help us have the eyes to see that lie and to hear that lie? You know, it says in the scriptures that the, the devil is the, is the father of lies. I know, I, know, I know millionaires who have so much and they're never satisfied. I was speaking to someone a couple of years ago and he said, I've got a friend, he sold his company. He bought one car, then he had to buy another car and he bought, then he bought an aeroplane. And seriously, and he just... I have people who are friends who are not millionaires. And, but the point I'm trying to make, he said, this guy is never satisfied. He is chasing and he's chasing. And you see, the lie of money is that it would satisfy you and be happy if it won't. Number two, the other lie of money. Money will give you status and identity. If only I look like that with those clothes, then I'll feel successful. If someone sees me drive up in a nice car, then they'll know I've made it. If someone walks into my lovely home, then they'll feel like I've got it sorted. You see, the, the, the lie of money is that our status will come from that, when of course we know the opposite is true. Our status, our identity comes from Christ, that we are a child of the living God, that we are a co-heir with Christ, that we're part of a peculiar people. Yes, you are. That we're ambassadors, that we're a royal priesthood. That's where your identity comes from. It doesn't matter how much money you have, that identity will never change. And yet the lie of money is that Money will give you the status that you so desperately think you need, but you will find it wanting. You will find it wanting. That's number two, the lie of money. It will give you status and identity. Number three, this is, a, this is just such a subtle one. Just a little bit more money will be enough. Who's heard of John D. Rockefeller? Yeah, I mean, 19th century old baron um, and philanthropist. If you, if, you, if you looked at his um, wealth now and take into account inflation, all that kind of stuff, he would be worth $360 billion. I mean, Elon Musk has only got 165. So, sorry, Elon Musk. But do you know what? 
John D. Rockefeller said when someone asked him how much is enough money? You know what he said? A little bit more. A little bit more. And you see, the problem with money is when you think you just need a little bit more, let me tell you, that is a sign that you're, you're, you're trapped. You're in bondage. Listen, we've got to understand there's some kingdom principles that we need to understand here. Whatever you worship, you'll be in bondage to unless it's Jesus. You understand? Whatever you worship other than God, you will be put in bondage. And so if, worship, if money is your God, in other words, if it takes the center of your life and your thought process and you put your trust in it, then it's not going to give you freedom. It will put you in bondage. And one of these, one of these areas is the lie that you need. Money is a wonderful tool, but it is a terrible tyrant. Money is a tyrant. Number four, how are you doing? You all okay? Are we starting to acclimatize the cold water yet? No, not yet. I'm still shivering. Money, here's number four, number lie. Number lie? No, number four, lie. I blame the fact I've only had one cup of coffee today. I normally by this point have had three. So just letting you know. Money is more trustworthy than God. That's lie number four. The lie of money is that our security comes from our wealth. Now, this is a big trap for me. My bank balance changed my mood like that. Anybody else? You know what I mean. If my bank balance looks healthy, the world is all right with me. If I can map out the next 10 years, hey, 10 months, maybe 10 weeks, 10 days, then I'm okay. But if my bank balance doesn't reflect what I perceive to be secure, then it throws me for a loop. And all of a sudden, the scriptures and the truth that I know that Jesus is my provider seem to fall out the window. Anybody else experience that? Then up. You see, when you look to money to bring you security, right, I'm, this is another spiritual dynamic. When you look to money to bring you security, what actually happens is it will give you fear and anxiety. If you want to know whether or not you are, you are looking at money for your security, then ask yourself the question, am I full of fear and anxiety about money? Because if you are, then you are. And, and I know that because that's a walk I have to go through continually. And by the way, it's not like all of a sudden you understand these lies and you think, right, my life is sorted. Bless you, buddy. Look at this. A coffee. Huey, thank you, buddy. Man, you are storing for yourselves up treasures in heaven, brother. He made it public, though. <laughs> Oh, thank you, buddy. Good. Okay. It's not like you're going to sort these out overnight and you'll be free of them. We have to continually work at them. Okay. So they're the four things. Is that helpful? Right. And the Lord's, I reckon the Lord, the Holy, I don't have to be prophetic to know this, but in a room of this size, the Lord has already spoken to a few of you about where you land on these. And my prayer to you is, and we'll have this opportunity at the end of the service, do some business with God. Okay, so let's let's look at paradox, not paradoxically, but the reverse side of this, which is the four truths of giving. Four truths of giving. Number one, it positions us for his blessing. Now, you know, there are scriptures in the Bible that you look at and as plain as day. And I want to reference a couple, but I want to do so sensitively and you'll see why in a moment. 
Let's look at Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Oh, wow, is that the time? Amazing. Right, I'm going to change the schedule for the next couple of weeks. This is money part one, money part two next week. Um, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim, brim over with you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, why do I want to be sensitive about this? Because there are many parts of the church who have taken this and turned it into a formula. They've taken a godly principle and turned it into a worldly formula to gain more money. We've all heard those prosperity preachers says, if you sow one pound, you'll get 10 pounds back. And, you know, we might snigger a laugh, but I know that many people have been caught in that trap. This, this principle I'm talking about is not about a formula as if God is some kind of calculator. This is about demonstrating the heart of God that he is wanting to bless each one of us in response to us giving him an undivided heart. Are you seeing this? Now, I know many testimonies where people have sown financially into something and they have been blessed in that area. And I'm not saying God doesn't do that. What I'm saying is the danger is, is that we can turn it into some kind of expectancy from the Lord and say, I gave you 10 pounds, Lord. I expect 1,000 pounds back. This is the danger. Now, the problem with the church is in response to this warped message, this prosperity gospel, is that the church doesn't want to talk about this component at all, lest someone gets offended. But the problem is you can't do that because it's in the scriptures. And I want to make it plain that when we pour out for God in all of our areas, he will, he's no debtor to no man, he will pour back in. Do you understand that? And it's about our hearts. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what all those things that you need will be given unto you. But yet we don't understand the difference between need and want, do we? I mean, that's the problem. And up there. You know, Anne Frank said this famously, No one has ever become poor by giving. Being generous yields more to us than we could ever imagine. And you see, the enemy would stop you giving by doing this. Now try and receive when you've got closed hands. Will you be able to receive from hands like this? No. What happens when you give freely is you can freely receive. I'm going to ask the band up all joking aside, we are going to extend this talk out for next week. Please come next week. Because I haven't got to the punchline yet, and it's, it's rather good. But actually, by, by God's foreknowledge, he knew that we would do this over two weeks. I think, I think if I'm honest, all joking aside, this is a really important subject. And actually, you know, I was trained as a, when I was in corporate land as a public spokesperson, I got trained on how to deal with media and this and the other and we got taught about the, the best time to drop news you know you can hide bad news in a particular news cycle or you need to wait for a certain cycle when you want to put good news and the reality is is that if 
this is not necessarily a good time to talk about money, is it? Is the preacher talking about money? Has he seen inflation? Did he not hear that the Bank of England just put the base rate up again and my mortgage is looking crazy? Now, humanly speaking, this is the worst time for me to speak about money. But I actually think this is the best time for us to be talking about money. Because for many of us, we are caught up in fear and anxiety about money. And the reason is, it's because we are worshiping money and God wants to set us free. And as I said to you, reach is about extending our reach to reach the lost. But it's also about extending ourselves to growing Christ. And I believe there's, over the next couple of weeks, this week and next week, there's going to be breakthroughs that relates to some of you, you guys with money. And, you know, you can look at the brochure. We'll look at it next week in more detail around what we're trying to raise and, and why that's important and what that enables us to do. But let's put all that aside at the moment and say this. God is seeking us, and me included, to get our houses in order. You could often tell someone's priority by looking at that bank statement and that diary. And so I'm grateful to God that... Hello. Good to see you, Fred. Uh, why don't I worship faster? Woo -woo. Um, let's, let's stand, guys.